been enriched, re- renewed, rehoped. I don't know if there's a word like that. Rehoped. Uh, oh, hallelujah. God is, God is going to have a people. God does have a people. He will have a church that will fit the description that he said uh, he was coming for. Church without spot, without wrinkle. Washed in the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. And uh, I, I love the, the precious ways that the Lord... You know, when God speaks because of who He is, He ought not to ever have to have to come back again and encourage us to believe that. But the humility of God, He'll just come time after time after time and reach down on whatever level He finds us and, and just support all that He's declared in ways that we can get a hold of it in our unbelief. And uh, and just bring us to a position of believing, uh, like a father who loves us. That's why we worship him. We worship him because of his great love for us. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! What makes what makes A church authentic. What makes a church relevant? What makes a man's ministry authentic? What makes a man's ministry relevant? What makes a Christian family authentic? What makes a Christian family relevant in their in their county, in their neighborhood? That's the question we want to address tonight because this wonderful refreshing that God is of His own will, His own sovereign will for His own purposes, sending us, uh, equipping us to glorify Him, to be strong in faith, to be full of the Holy Ghost, um, his own purposes will be accomplished. We're going to go out from this time of refreshing, and uh, and we've got to be relevant, and we've got to be authentic. Now, how does that happen, and what makes something authentic? What makes something relevant? And uh, I'm going to ask you to turn first to Luke chapter two. I've never talked about this before. We're so insecure that uh, when we get new territory, we tremble. But I think I saw something here yesterday. Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 40. 
And the child grew, the child Jesus grew, and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple. After three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? And I want to say that this question, like so many questions that we ask, have more to do with our own frustration. You know, this had, this had more to do with her own fears and her own sorrow and her own frustration. Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? You know, we, here's, here's a, a 12-year-old Jesus full of wisdom. The grace of God was upon him. He's, he's doing his father's business. And, uh, and the questions, why hast thou dealt Thus with us. Uh, and he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He didn't have to get back in favor with God. He just increased in favor with God. How is it that you sought me, wist you not that I must be about my father's business? You know, that's... That's a wonderful that's a wonderful thing if I'm seeing it right. I saw it like I never saw it before yesterday. He's full of wisdom. And the grace of God is upon him. Mother uh, 
me being me a 12 year old boy full of wisdom and the grace of God upon me and and I must be about my father's business I must be about my father's business no question that he came to do the will of the father and mother in doing that uh I'm not going to violate your trust God doesn't God doesn't uh, violate his principles to accomplish his purpose. He doesn't do away with honor thy father and mother to accomplish a divine purpose. So he says, I must be about my father's business. Now, you know, uh, the flesh wants to say, yeah. Yeah, man, he's got more important things to do than to... I mean, he's come to save the world. But, folks, the Father's business for Jesus turns out to be 18 more years at the carpenter's bench. Eighteen more years at the carpenter's bench. For Jesus, with the most important mission in the world, the man most able, most capable, most fit, most suited for, the job, the will accomplishing the will of the Father, with the answers, with the wisdom, the grace of God resting upon him, a world dying and going to hell. But he was not distracted even by the need. He, he must be about his father's business. He didn't suggest to the father what his business was. What is your must? What is your must? I must. Be financially secure. I must have significance in the church. I must. See? No, Jesus' is must was I must do the will of the Father. Misunderstood. Kept down. Obscurity. Year after year after year after year. He's in his prime. He's 20 years old. Eight years later, he's 20 years old. And he's 22 years old. And then he's 25 years old. And then he's 27 years old. But he must be about his father's business. And mom... You know, Mom, don't worry about me. I'm not going to bring reproach on you. I'm not going to break your heart uh, out of rebellion. Because I'm committed to the Father's business. The same Father that sent that angel that touched you and brought you those tidings from God. And, And... 
that same Holy Spirit that overshadowed you and impregnated you with the will of God. I must, I'm committed to His purposes. I don't have an agenda of my own. I, I don't have something that I have to see happen. Oh, it's when we get a hold of something that we've got to straighten out, when we get a hold of something we've got to see happen, trouble is ahead. Deception is ahead. God's plan is thwarted. No, we don't have to do anything but the will of the Father. That's all we have to do. Now, what is being relevant? What does that mean? Being relevant. Everybody's talking about it. The, the, the modern church is in error over its head, motivated by a humanistic idea of being relative to the needs in the world today, to the felt needs of society. Find a need and meet it. Yes, has built the biggest churches in America. That's relative to human understanding. But now we are essentially spirit and we are eternal souls. Eternal, not temporal. And being relative has to do with relating properly to the center, the originator, the sustainer, the finisher, the author, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the faithful, the merciful, high priest, the witness, the Lord of lords, king of kings, creator, the eternal God. When I relate to Him, I am relevant. See, that's, and it doesn't have to go any further than that. And nobody has to understand it. And it doesn't have to meet anybody's need. If I relate to Him, I am relevant in my generation. I am relevant. Now, relevance in that respect plus obedience equals authenticity. In any generation. I want to ask you now, think about this with me. You know, Brother Ravenhill calls this the, the coward's castle. Right here. We stand up here and we say what we want to say and, and nobody gets to question it or anything. The coward's castle. <laughs> but was... Was Noah relevant to his day? Here he is. Never rained before. Couldn't find it in their dictionary. Never rained. And he is building a boat. One year. Five years. Ten years. Now the elders, I mean, a hundred years. I forget how many, but 
a lot of years, hundreds at least, building a boat. Now, it didn't take a hundred years for the elders to see through that 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 wasn't relative to anything. No, not relative. Not relative to anything going on in this town. <laughs> that doesn't have anything to do with anything. Man's crazy. Lost his mind. What is it? What's it for? Why would he do that? It, 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 nobody agrees with it. Nobody understands it. It's not going to help anybody. It won't help the town. It won't increase tourism. It won't, it won't do anything. It's, it's crazy. But I'll tell you that history points out that he was the only man in town that was relevant. He was the only man in town that was authentic. Because he related to the eternal God that had a plan and a purpose and an order and a determination to accomplish redemption. That he might have a people for an eternal bride and companion for his son. What he always wanted before the foundations of the earth It's what he determined to have. And he's never veered off from it. Was it relevant? Not to, not to society. Not to the elders. Was, you know, and you just pick the story, whatever story you want. <laughs> Was it relevant? <laughs> so being relevant is relating to the eternal and not the temporal. Jesus didn't come to be relevant to the existing society. He came to do the will of the Father. Do I have to have an exact reproduction of the first century Christianity in my generation? To be relevant? Do I have to study church history? Do I have to read all, and, and it's good to read them, and it's certainly good to study church history. It's wonderful. But in, do I have to comb through it in order to find out what they wore? Do I have to comb through it in order to find out what they didn't wear? Do I have to, do I have to, to labor in there, to, to find out in those ways what made that an authentic church? I'm asking some questions. Is the church at the end of the age just a cheap imitation of the first century authenticity? Every generation must walk relative to who God is, obeying and doing the will of God in order to be authentic in their generation. Now, in doing that, He'll never violate 
His own character and nature. He's the God who changes not. But it's a lot easier to comb through the history books in search of authenticity than it is to have a prayer closet life with God. To find out what His heart's desire is for my community, for my family, for my church. And to obey that will. And, the, and, and every time you obey, it's going to lead straight to the cross. Straight to the cross so that you can be put out of the way and Jesus can live. And the life of God can be manifest in the flesh, in your community, in your family. All the other stuff. And I, you know, it's wonderful to get to blame things on the Holy Spirit. You know, this is what what the Holy Spirit has got me stirred up about. I mean, I mean, he's talking to Bracey Greer. See, I got, I grew up in a certain uh, way, you know. And oh me, I've been unlearning for 15 years, you know. And I don't mean, I don't mean disrespectfully, and I don't mean stuff like that. See, but everything that's not relevant. In the way we're talking about tonight is an expression of my insecurity and pride. Always. And in our circles, you know, I I wrote this down for our circles. Noise doesn't make it relative. And we're, we're noisy. We got speakers bigger than this wall. And if we've only got... A hundred people there, we'll crank them up. You know, we got instruments and drums and not we. Not we. But not we locally. (laughs) But we nationally, you know. It's a circus. Crowds. Do not make something authentic. Community acceptance does not make something authentic. Staying within the whatever boundaries you have to stay in to not be questionable to the elders does not make something authentic. If we love Him, John says, if we love Him, we obey Him. And the Holy Spirit's presence is the authenticity. If the Holy Spirit isn't present, it's not authentic. It may be noisy. It may be exciting. It may be... It it may really bless the flesh. Excite the flesh. But anything that excites the flesh without moving me in holiness toward God can come out of this book, but it's still a doctrine of devils. It can come, you know, in the last days there'll be, there'll be perilous times. 
seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Well, I never understood that. I thought the opposite on that. I thought these Mormons are filling the world with doctrines of devils. No, it's ordained Pentecostal preachers that are filling the world with the doctrines of devils. In our churches, they stand with an open Bible and preach from this book that which excites and exalts the flesh. But when you look for the result, nobody's been moved in holiness toward God. And it's not authentic. Oh, there's crowds and it pays the bills big time. And you can get rich and you can have a bestseller. And you can have the fastest growing church in America. But none of that makes it authentic except to your crowd. I think I could quit now. I think I've said what I'm supposed to say, but I'm not going to quit. I mean, let's drive it to see if we can. I wrote this down here. Uh, I, I know I've heard this someplace before, but I can't remember where I heard it. And the other night in one of our Wednesday night studies in Hebrews, I was trying to get get it, guys. And I looked out and said, does anybody remember what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and uh, we couldn't remember it. <laughs> but I remembered it. The Lord will never move us out and trust us with greater responsibilities until He has become precious to us in the place where we are. Until we're just as content as we can be. Not with the state of things, but in the state of things. Without murmuring and without complaining. Rejoicing in the love of God with full confidence. That because He has placed in us a must to do His will. And He has given us wisdom and the grace of God. That regardless of what it looks like, even to ourselves, He will accomplish His purposes. He will have the desired results. And if we will remain relative to Him, relating to Him as, as, the, as the author and finisher of faith, and if we will say yes to it, it will equal authenticity. And we'll look back understood it till we do look back upon it, but it will prove to be authentic. Brother Clendenin and I were talking about process and crisis, and that's what our lives are made up with, process and crisis. And the process is daily. The process turns into weeks and months and years, and it's routine, and it, and it doesn't seem like it's accomplishing anything. But with, you know, with, honor, with, with humility and the fear of the Lord comes riches, honor, and life. Humility is an unconditional commitment to the righteous processes of God. 
before I ever get into a situation, my mind's already made up because I'm in covenant with Him. I made covenant with Him at the foot of the cross in the same spirit that He made covenant with Abraham. When I knelt at the foot of that cross in the shed, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, God allowed me the privilege to die there into my own plans, into my own future. But he also, he also made a commitment to me to never leave me nor forsake me, no matter what anybody ever said about me, no matter what, if I brought reproach to his name, that he would never leave me nor forsake me. His mind was made up. It was a commitment. He said, if, if you sin, ask forgiveness. I'll be faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Now that's a funny word to use, faithful and just on God's part, to forgive us of our sins. What's just about God forgiving us of our sins? Well, He made a covenant with us. And He'll be just to that covenant. He'll be faithful to that shed blood. If I confess my sins, He'll, he'll be faithful to that covenant and just to that covenant to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But when I come into a situation, it's a new situation. I've never been in it before. I've never been faced with these kind of decisions before. But my mind is made up. I'm committed to doing the will of God. I'm committed to not violate His principles that He's taught me. I'm committed to not grieve His heart. I'm not an ends to, a means to an end person. That the end justifies the means. No, I'm not a human reasoning person. I'm committed to the righteous processes of God. Whether I understand it or don't understand it. Whether everybody else understands it or don't understand it. I have a humility before God. A commitment to His righteous nature and character. I, I don't need a list of pros and cons. I don't need to to lean on human reasoning as to where I think this is going to lead and if this is going to destroy the church and if this and if that. I don't have to have that. I just stick in there with a, with a commitment to God that He knows what He's about. He's been doing this a long time. He's going to bring it to pass for His own name's sake. He will. He is. Now, listen to this. Psalms 111, verse 10. A great understanding have they who do the will of God. Get to order. We don't like that order. I don't like that order. I'm too insecure to like that. I, I, I want to know. I want to understand. For I go do. I want to understand why am I doing this? What am I going to say if somebody asks me why I'm doing this? I mean, I'm supposed to give a good reason for them that ask me of the hope that lies within me. Of course, if that hope is to build a bigger church, that's not the hope it's talking about. But it says, the good understanding have they who do the will of God. Well, that's Old Testament. Jesus said, John seven seventeen. said, they, they who do the will of God will know the doctrine right. if it's of God or not. Right. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Do it. Yes, right. You do right 
You know, when I learned that, and I learned that from old brother Ashcroft when he came through Europe back in the early 80s. And he, he taught me that. And I got that straightened around. I, was, I had the, the cart before the horse. And I, I've never said that where it's more meaningful than right here. Uh, I say that in some places and they don't know what I'm talking about. Cart before the horse. But uh, uh, he helped me get that straightened out. That you do the will of God and then you get understanding. And I heard one brother say, you do the will of God and then God will bring understanding. Maybe. But the important thing is doing the will of God. That's all. Just doing the will of God. Now, see, if I am committed, he's the Lord of my life. I have no other agenda. And I think I, I, to the best of my ability, I know what is, I think I know what he wants me to do. And I do it. I want to tell you something about our God. This is from personal experience. If, if I think I'm doing his will, I don't have an agenda of my own, and I am going in the opposite direction that he really wants me to go. You know what he does? He's the Lord of my life. It's, we got these big ships down in Houston and Galveston. And, and one man stands at that wheel and he can take that ship any direction he wants it to go. Only thing is he can't change the direction of the ship if it's not moving. That's why you got, you know, understanding doesn't come until you're moving. But if I'm going in the opposite direction, the best of my understanding, I'm going, but I'm going in the opposite direction of what God wants me to do. He's the Lord. See? And he'll just take it a wheel, get me out in the bay. Now, going down the channel, it's fine. He's at the helm. And I'm saying, well, I sure thought this was the will of God. Praise God. You know, but he can't do anything but let me go in that direction till I get out of this channel or we'd wreck. You know, we'd be over there in that pipeline or something. So we got to go about 40 miles down this channel in the direction I thought all the time was the will of God. Now I'm establishing my testimony all the way down that channel. Look here, man. I prayed through on this one. I got God's will on this one. Look at God's blessing. See, he's the Lord of my life, and I thought this is the way he wanted me to go, and here we go. You know, we get on down there. Oh, he just loves me all the way. He does. He does. There's no punitive thing in God. This, he just, oh, I'm his son. I'm doing the best I can do. Fathers, you know what that feels like. You got a boy out there or a girl that's doing the best they know how to do. You know, the worst thing in the world a father can hear sometimes is for a real young boy to come up and say, Daddy, let me help you paint that. You know? Mm. Mm. All he's trying to do is get me out in the bay where there's room. There's fixing to be a U-turn out in the bay. But boy, in that U-turn, I'm learning so much about God. Oh, it's, it's humiliating. I've, I've told everybody goodbye. They waved at me on the shore. They threw me, they threw me a farewell party. 
They gave me gifts. Here we go. Get out there. And they're looking and saying, what in the world is going on? All they're doing is turning around. And in a minute, that boat comes back into the channel. They're still standing on the shore, but I'm not on deck. Uh-uh. I'm where God wanted me all the time. I'm in that prayer closet. He loves me. He loves me. And if I'll just do what I think He wants me to do, He'll teach me His ways. He'll show me His paths. He'll lead me in truth because He's the God of my salvation. Hallelujah. He's much more committed to me than I am to Him. Anymore, I never lose sleep over what I don't know. But you know, this flesh is so insecure that I still, I confess to you, I still lose sleep over what I do know. Flesh doesn't want to die. And it's, and it's daily dying. You never have that one licked forever. Pride, Brother Ravenhill has taught us, rightly so, said, he'd look at us and he'd say, now listen, pride's the last thing to go. But it'll be the first thing to come back. You know. So all I got to know, I just, I just pray over what I do know. Oh, Lord, I know what you want me to do. Lord, give me a heart willing to do it. Lord, give me a heart inclined to do it. Oh, God, even cause me to do it. Lord, I want you to, where my faith is weak, increase my faith. Lord, I don't want to bring reproach to your name. Oh, God, I know nobody's going to understand this. But if I can just please you in it, I know you'll glorify your name. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. Verse 10. Trying to establish authority, uh, trying to establish authenticity is flesh at its best. Trying to establish authenticity is flesh at its best. Folks, that's not in our area of responsibility. That's His. He's the one. His presence makes it authentic. His presence can't come and dwell with flesh. So He he assigns me His own desire and the process of carrying it out 
will be the end of that flesh so that he can put his presence in that effort. And his presence, when people see his presence, that's the authenticity of what's happening. Isaiah 50, verse 10, Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. Behold all ye that kindle a fire that that compass yourselves about with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks that ye have kindled. And this shall you have of my hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. Who is among you that fears the Lord? We would all, our hearts, have been touched by the Lord. Who's among you that fears the Lord? You say, I fear the Lord. Who's among you that obeys the voice of His servant? We say, I obey the voice of His servant. Who's among you that walks in darkness and has no light? And no hands go up. Because we're proud. But all three of this is happening to the same guy. Who among you fears the Lord, obeys the voice of his servant, and walks in darkness and has no light? The darkness of, of no illumination, no understanding, no frame of reference, never experienced this before and never talked to anybody that has. Don't know what to do. Don't have the slightest idea why this is happening. Let him trust in the name of the Lord. Let him stay on his God. Don't do anything new. Don't go anyplace new. Just stay upon your God. Just do what... What you knew about God's nature and character before you got into that dark place, that's what you just do. That's what you stay consistent with. Somebody come along with a new teaching, that's not the time. Don't, even if it's truth, just say, I've not tried that armor yet. I'm just staying with what I know. I'm just staying with what I have experienced. Just going to stay right here. Not going to do anything. I'm just staying right here. Well, that's not very spiritual. Well, but it's relevant. Because eternal wisdom said that if I fear Him, if I obey Him, and I'm in a dark place, that I'm just to be still. Just to stay still. He's got His own purposes. He's got His own timing. All of God's delays are appointments. All of them. Be still. Be still. I'm going to glorify my name. Before you're out of there, they're going to be saying, no way. Sarah's womb was was closed. She was past bearing the age, uh, the childbearing age. Abraham was, what, 99 years old, going on 100? Couldn't happen. Couldn't happen. And there they are. They've, they've They've grown so old, they're senile, they're silly. 
They're foolish. They go around calling each other silly names. Sarah meant fruitful womb. Abraham meant father of many nations. That's all the neighbors ever heard from this silly old couple that had gone through some kind of a grief process that, that had lost touch with reality. Fruitful womb, is dinner ready? No father of many nations, but it's almost ready. You know, all, all day long, here it is. The, was that relative? Oh, was it relative? Oh, was it authentic? Out of that seed came God's lamb. Oh, my brother. God said, that man's a friend of mine. He wasn't, there's times he wasn't anybody else's friend. Except those he blessed financially and they were hypocrites. He would, but they, they talked about him behind his back. What are we going to do with this old couple? They're bringing reproach on everything that's going on around here. No, no, God just looking for people that'll do His will. He'll take care of the rest. He'll set the scene. He'll, he knows how to make it look so black that when the, when the glory of God shines out against that black, hopeless backdrop, everybody says, Oh, isn't the God of Abraham something? Hallelujah. Now, you've got a choice here. You can kindle a fire of your own making. No, you can you can refuse humility. You can refuse vulnerability. You can refuse, you know, people, you can just keep looking good. And really, that becomes a, a, a driving motivation in all of our lives if we allow it. That we just want to look good. When I, when I, every time I pre- spent time prep, in preparation for this conference, I had to deny that desire to want to look good. I, boy, I'd, I'd, if I was honest, I'd have been down saying, Oh, Lord, I don't care what you say, and I don't care who you say it to, but when it's all over, let me look good. That's the way we are. Just let me look good. That's not what he's interested in. He won't do it. No, you've got to... You got to be brutal with that. Raise the knife to that. No, that's not what it's all about. Want to look good, so I I light that fire. Fix fixing to have a church full of people. Get those fires lit. Come walking in with all that fire, all that light. Of our own making. Didn't get it from God. God's not in it. But it is fire. But it's fire of our own making. This shall you have of my hand. You shall lie down in sorrow. As a preacher's son, I could tell you story after story. Of people in the church. That wouldn't embrace humility before God. I'm not talking about whether they were right in their observation or wrong in their observation. 
But they did not walk out a commitment to the righteous processes of God in the thing. See? And I can tell you people that, oh, when, they, when that sorrow comes, it's more grievous than any cross you could ever get on. But this is your choice and mine. You, you can choose God's way or you can choose your way. Christ and the cross, was it relevant? Did anybody understand it? Far be that from thee, Lord, said his close friend Peter. Determined to do the will of God. To his own friend, he says, Get behind me, Satan. Your mind in the things of men and not the things of God. Was the cross relevant to society, to the elders, to the chief council, to the people that walked by? Ha! He saved others. Why can't he save himself? There was no authenticity in it to anybody that looked upon it. But it was to God. It was the sweet savor of His will being accomplished. It was the sweet savor of victory. It was the sprinkling of the acceptable blood on the mercy seat. It was, a, it was going to those Old Testament saints who for all those centuries had clutched those promissory notes through obedience and through faith. And it was the making good of the promise of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It was carrying captivity captive. It was the glorifying of God. It was the showing forth of the wisdom of God to the powers of darkness. It was the it was the it was the the redemptive plan of God accomplished once and for all. Was it relevant? Was it authentic? You're the proof of it here today. It's authentic, folks. It's not of the flesh. It's not of a council of men. It's of the will of God. Father, we're, we're people here tonight on obedience. To obey in New Testament usage means to give earnest attention to the Word of God. To submit to its authority and to carry out its instructions. Obedience in this sense is almost a dead issue in modern Christianity. The modern church has soft-pedaled the doctrine of obedience, either neglecting it altogether or mentioning it without urgency. This results from, a confusing, from confusing obedience with works. To escape the era of salvation by works, we have fallen into the opposite era of salvation without obedience. Faith and obedience are forever joined, and each one is without value when separated from the other. Many today are trying to believe without any intention to obey. The weakness in preaching today is an overemphasis on faith with an underemphasis on obedience. Now, I'm, I'm being serious here. I haven't found that among you. But I'm telling you that it, 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 it describes 
most of Christianity in this nation. This is being carried so far that believe has been made to substitute for obey. Non-obedience has created a non-reality resulting in believers who believe everything fervently but obey nothing at all. Indeed, modern believers are shocked at the very mention of the word obey. To them it smacks of heresy, self-righteousness, and legalism. Disobedience to God is the sin of sins. It is self-idolatry. For to disregard what God commands is to imply that we know better than God what is for our good. And sets us up as greater and wiser than God. Obedience to God is right by the fact that it is He who has made us and not we ourselves. Obedience spares us much harm and brings us great good. While by disobedience we hurt and destroy ourselves. Obedience is the chief proof of a genuine salvation experience. Amen. True religion isn't in your church positions. It is not in superstitions, the church activities. True repentance is an act of brokenness from the grief of your regrets of a life that's now deceased. True deliverance is not a road you walk alone. But with my spirit, says the Lord, as you walk away from sin, true salvation is not displayed in how you're treated. It's not in prayers that you've repeated time and time again. Because this is not a game. And this is not a chance to see the spotlight. It's not about a church that seats a thousand. Or a choir that sings on key It's about the kingdom And when will you make time to share my gospel Make time to point the lost to a brighter day in eternity And make time for me When will you make time for me True holiness is a goal you cannot reach If you ignore humility on this road you walk each day True conviction is not in these mortal words But by my spirit says the Lord As I draw your heart my way True righteousness it's found my faith in me alone You can't attain it on your own And once attained it bears much fruit The true church Is a church that seeks to serve me With a zeal to give me glory Does this church consist of you? Cause this is not a game this is not a chance to see the spotlight It's not about a church that seats a thousand Or a choir that sings on key 
It's about the kingdom. And when will you make time to share my gospel? Make time to point the lost to a brighter day in eternity. Oh, and this is not a game. And this is not a chance to see the spotlight. It's not about a church that seats a thousand or a choir that sings on the key. It's about the kingdom. And when will you make time to share my gospel? Make time to point the lost to a brighter day in eternity and make time for me. When will you make time for me?